as the world of luxury diversifies, so do we. Today I'm talking with Casey Campbell, the Managing Director of Gameloft in North America. Gameloft is one of the world's top mobile game publishers, and Casey focuses on connecting brands with highly engaged audiences through mobile games and compelling rich media. He manages all sales and business development activities in the US and Canada. By turns, disruptor and disrupted, Casey has unique insights into this dynamic and growing sector that now includes luxury brands. So today I'm delighted to be speaking with Casey Campbell. And as I've already said, Casey is the managing director uh, for Gameloft in North America. And Gameloft is one of the world's top mobile game publishers. Casey, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Sean. Great to talk to you. So today we're going to talk about a number of things, you know, aside from gaming. Um, I wanted to start with asking you a bit about you. Just tell us a bit about yourself, what you do, what you do for work, what you do for pleasure. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. So uh, as you said, I, I work with Gameloft and Gameloft is one of the one of the top mobile games companies in the world. I've been in the in the gaming industry for I think I'm coming up on maybe 16 years now. So it's been quite a while and it's been a really exciting ride because it's such a dynamic industry. Um, so right now I'm the managing director of North America for Gameloft. And um, what my team does is we use a gaming audience and then also uh, our, our creative capabilities, uh, which is substantial as one of the as one of the best game companies in the world, um, to work with brands and to connect with brand audiences. So that can mean uh, working on on campaigns within our network of games, and we've got a very substantial user base in our extended network. We've got 390 active monthly users worldwide, uh, or it can mean using our creative studio of over 200 people. And these are all games experts. These are designers and developers and artists and building out um, interesting and interactive uh, media for brands to connect with their audiences. So that's that's what we're focused on doing. How did you get to where you are? Uh, it was a conscious decision. So I started my career working for systems integrators uh, for consulting companies, IT consulting companies. And uh, it was during the Y2K years, so it was it was pretty dynamic, and there was a sense of urgency in what we were doing. Uh, but after a few years, I mean, uh, quite honestly, I was just so bored. It was the driest work I'd ever done. Uh, so, uh, you know, I've always been a, a fan of games, and it's always been a hobby of mine. And I made a really conscious decision uh, to move over into the games industry. And luckily, I had some connections that I'd made um, working for that systems integrator that had already made that switch. And uh, the rest is, is history, so they say. But it was just a, such a different landscape when I started in the mobile games business uh, back in 2008. We were still working with flip phones back then. So we've seen a lot of really, really cool changes. It's been an adventure in terms of changing direction in, in terms of your career. What's mm-hmm. the most exciting thing you do now in your job, in your work? Yeah, sure. So uh, it, it's really exciting and interesting to see how the games industry has evolved and become so mainstream. And especially over the past year, when we have so many new users and um, people are spending more time playing games than ever, and the demographic has shifted so that, uh, you know, it's it's no longer corresponding with that stereotype of, of, you know, young males that are playing games. It's really everybody that's, that's playing games now. And um, recently, the most interesting thing uh, when it comes to work and my work life is seeing how um, 
various industries and various audiences are recognizing the impact that games can have when it comes to connecting emotionally and uh, guiding and compelling behavior. So uh, the, the majority of the work that we do is using a gaming audience and gamification to connect brands with audiences. But there's so much potential beyond this when it comes to you know, efficiencies in, in training or customer onboarding or even uh, health therapies. So seeing seeing the power of gaming um, becoming unlocked uh, with such a with such a broad potential is very, very exciting. I'm going to come back to the onboarding and um, other and the other things you've just mentioned. But sure. what game what games do you play? Oh, so I mean, I'm sort of like a passive secondary player right now when it comes to Fortnite, uh, because my my kids play Fortnite to connect with their their little buddies. So they haven't been in school for a long time. Um, you know, the the lack of social interaction with their friend group was kind of uh, weighing on them. And when I started seeing them interacting with these guys uh, playing Fortnite together, I really like that. So I'm kind of joining in with them right now. And I play a lot of mobile games. I, I play one of Game Lost Racing games called Asphalt 9 uh, quite a lot. Um, on my PlayStation, I'm playing a game called uh, Demon Souls, which is more, uh, you know, uh, self-inflicted punishment <laughs> than playing sometimes because it's so difficult. But uh, when I have time, I, I really do try and keep it up. Do you have all the consoles? I mean, do you have a switch and uh, you know. sure? Yeah, yeah, we have a switch. I have two young boys, and uh, they're lucky because as soon as they want something video game related, their their dad jumps on that, right. <laughs> and uh, I justify it by saying that it's for the kids. But of course, I play with this stuff myself too. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say that because I <laughs> I read in the, in an article you wrote that you know the demographic slightly shifted, but mm -hmm. you've got the perfect well anybody with kids has got the perfect excuse. Oh mm -hmm. yeah, it's for them, but in actual fact, it's not. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I wanted to pursue the idea of both the digital and physical presence that games have. What are your thoughts about that convergence of the digital and physical space? Mm -hmm. So gaming as a hobby has always inspired a lot of passion. Um, the, the collector community is, is often really closely intertwined with the gaming community, right? And you have to remember this medium is, is time intensive. So I mentioned uh, Demon Souls, which is a game that I'm playing now. Honestly, Sean, I think I've probably put 70 hours or more into this game. So it's a hobby that takes up a lot of your time and takes up a lot of your mind space. So, you know, when you mentioned Pokemon and these other collectibles, that's always been always been an interesting part of, of the gaming community because uh, when you're devoting so much time to the hobby, it, it, it does infiltrate, infiltrate your life. And the collectability is, is something that... Uh, belies a very passionate audience. Um, what's interesting is to see the convergence between in-game assets and real-life assets. So now you can buy something that exists in a video game, you can buy it in real life and put it on your shelf. Or conversely, you can, you can purchase a digital version of something really cool and then outfit your avatar or outfit your your in-game environment with that. So yeah, it's it's really interesting to see how that convergence is is coming between the digital and, and the real world. So I was thinking about monetizing the game. You know, you you monetize the game through the sale of the actual game, but you also monetize it through everything else that comes with it. That's right. Yeah. No, I was going to say that's one of the major shifts that, that we've seen over all these years. So when I started working in the mobile games business, um, it, it was a pretty simple business model. We would sell downloadable mobile games. You know, typically back then you'd buy them from your wireless operator if that was Vodafone or if it was 3 or AT&T. 
you download them for $3 or $5 or $7. And that was sort of it. And it was a really self-contained experience. Uh, and now what's happened in the games industry, and particularly in the mobile games industry, is that um, you've seen a shift towards free games, so free downloads. There's a core experience that's included in that free download. Uh, and then there's a really um, wide opportunity for monetization through downloadable content. And this content can be something that uh, enhances the gameplay. So for example, uh, you don't have to wait between gameplay sessions if you buy these you know, wait stoppers or, or it could be something a little bit more cosmetic where you can customize a character or you can buy you know, new levels or new equipment or that sort of thing. So it's interesting because it's gone from a self-contained experience to a much more customizable uh, personalization type experience depending on how much you want to invest in, in that game experience. On the Switch, I was exploring racing games and one of them did exactly that so you get this free access to play one or two of the courses over a period of time and then you're having to continuously buy an upgrade you know a different a new car or mm -hmm. um, new tires new specs whatever thinking about luxury because i can't miss that out how is that going to work in the luxury world because mm -hmm. luxury is all about the product yeah, but there are, there are a lot of things that make a luxury product desirable. And really the luxury industry is selling that desirability. I mean, there's, there's definitely a case to be made for the craftsmanship and the quality that goes into to making a luxury item. But there's also a lot to be said, if we're being honest, about the desirability and the exclusivity that goes along with that experience. And uh, in many cases, um, you know, you've seen luxury brands and particularly luxury fashion brands really leaning into that exclusivity when it comes to in-game items where they'll offer something uh, for a limited time. Uh, and then, uh, you know, the exclusivity uh, and that really increases the value of that item to those gamers. So the gamers today that have this uh, option of customization are really invested in in that avatar and how they're presented to their friends and to the other players in that gaming world. And if you can outfit your avatar in something exclusive, there's there's pride and prestige that, uh, that goes along with that. So in the case of digital items, uh, in, in many ways, um, the exclusivity is contributing to the concept of luxury for those items. But let's not forget too that the aesthetics are really important. And it's funny because if you're wearing something, you know, very haute couture or something something very fashionable something very exclusive you don't really get to see it on yourself until you pass by a mirror for example but if you get something that's exclusive and and, and beautiful uh, from a luxury brand that you can equip your avatar with this in the game if it's a third person game you can enjoy how that looks on your in-game avatar for the entire time that you're playing. So um, various various luxury brands have leaned to this. I know that Louis Vuitton has uh, has created some uh, skins within League of Legends that were very, very successful. And then they actually created uh, a line that was inspired by League of Legends in the real life. So again, we see this crossover of luxury brands in, in real life versus in-game. I mean, we're living in parallel universes, aren't we, really? That's right. Yeah. The, this this whole idea of um, I mean, you you spoke about craftsmanship and luxury brands and craftsmanship, mm -hmm. and what we're seeing in, in increasingly in the in in the the real world of luxury is a focus on preserving these ideas of craftsmanship. Gucci is is really really effective at embracing gaming. 
to you know to to activate their audience and to engage with their audience and gucci launched uh an event in in roblox which is a really really popular gaming platform uh called gucci garden and there was a real life gucci garden as well and this was sort of an in-game representation of gucci garden and there are a lot of innovations that went into this it was a limited event uh, that only took place in a couple of weeks in may um but as an example uh there was a very limited time offer for a gucci purse within uh this event in roblox and at the time I th it was it was the in-game currency, I think, converted to less than $10. Uh, and I'm sorry, I don't really know exactly what it was, but it wasn't terribly expensive. But, um, you know, you can also trade these goods with within the game platform itself. So people were buying this Gucci purse and outfitting their avatars with this in-game item. Uh, and then it was no longer available. Okay. And then we saw that uh, because it was so exclusive, People were spending enormous amounts of money to acquire this virtual Gucci purse in game. And in fact, there's a video where someone pays over 4,000 real world dollars to get the Gucci purse so they could outfit their avatar with this thing. And, um, you know, that's more expensive than it would have cost in real life. But it, again, it was the idea of exclusivity, um, the, the limited time availability, and then the prestige and, and uh, what came along with that. So there's a real investment in your in game identity. And uh, this was a, a good example of Gucci embracing that. Yeah, I mean, it, um, I was going to make a rude joke about Gucci Gardens, but I don't think I will. Um, <laughs> uh, it's your podcast. Go ahead if you like, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> you know, gaming is such a creative space, and I'll say that um, when it comes to artists and designers, you know, I I would imagine that some of the most talented people out there are working in the game space just because it's such an interesting canvas and it, it allows a level of interactivity that you don't get in in other media so it's not surprising to see you know that that level of, of creativity and that level of quality and artistry um, invading the gaming space and uh, you know it, it allows a different uh, a different way to express your your brand value so again going back to this Gucci garden idea um, the whole concept behind that event was that you you walk into the Gucci Garden environment and then all of a sudden your avatar disappears and you become a blank canvas, a blank mannequin. And as you go from room to room, you start experiencing Gucci collections from the past and the avatar starts taking on uh, iconic patterns and, and design elements from those past collections. And everybody's uh, experience with this is different because they go through the rooms at a different rate or at a different in a different order. And when your avatar mannequin comes out at the other end of the experience, they're completely unique and they've, they're covered with different elements of that brand from past designs. And Gucci really um, is, is sort of known for uh, injecting that nostalgia into their collection. So again, it, other media would never be able to pull off that kind of artistic expression in the service of the brand that way that, uh, the way that Gucci was able to do this in Gucci Garden. I'm just thinking about this idea of of heritage and about you know what you were saying about entering this the the Gucci Garden and ex exploring this historical archive, which you wouldn't be able to do in mm -hmm. in real life. This idea of the metaverse, um, which is uh, you know a space, a persistent space with its own economies, where all sorts of different uh, brands and people can in, can interact. It's really fascinating because. It's opening up opportunities that you could never have in the real world. You just, it's, it's impossible experiences that are all of a sudden 
accessible to you. So yeah, I don't I don't know how you could uh, bring that kind of experience into the real world. It's it's very very difficult. So you've got your avatar. You're in the virtual world. How do you translate that into the real world? What does that feel like in terms of a game? Because having the products is one thing, and being able to dress yourself is another. But where's the gamification? Yeah, well, um, you know, the the gaming part of it is, uh, you know, there are a lot of different ways that brands are approaching it. So um, one would be this idea of in-game items, in-game luxury items. Another is the idea of creating that connection and then and then translating that into a real-world purchase. So um, Louis Vuitton, as I said, is they've they've launched a collection in real life that includes elements of League of Legends. So now there are characters appearing on on their clothing line and that sort of thing. So it's a matter of of taking from one world and then bringing that into the other. Um, I think it was again. I think it was. I think it was Gucci that did uh, a dive watch collaboration, right, with uh, an esports team. So again, it's it's a matter of capturing that audience's passions and then finding a clever and uh, and you know a way that's realistic and, and a, a way that's um, authentic to the brand and, and bringing it into the real life world with real life products. I'm, I'm thinking really about me. So if I were playing this game, what would I want this game to be? Mm -hmm. um, and I typically like um, shoot em ups. Uh, <laughs> so I was thinking, well, there's another example that I have from, um, I think it was Counter-Strike and there was a knife. There was a knife in Counter-Strike that was so exclusive there people were paying thousands of dollars for this thing and it was just because it was uh it was called the crimson web carambit i think oh, it was right. just a cool looking knife i mean it was it was red and it had uh, a nice pattern on it and it was the exclusivity of having the knife in the game so but uh yeah i don't know if you're gonna see any louis vuitton branded uh, rifles and i almost hope not but we'll have to see what role do you think then is um vr going to play I mean, as Ooh. we kind of move forward. Yeah, v VR is really, really interesting. I mean, the problem with VR in current times is the barrier to entry. So good VR headsets are still too expensive for, for mass adoption. Um, but the, the storytelling and the immersion that goes along with VR is really, really next level. Um, you know, I'll just very quickly tell you about one of my first experiences with VR is that I bought the the PlayStation VR headset and I was playing uh, a horror game called Resident Evil and it happened to be Halloween when I was playing this in my attic alone and honestly it was so scary <laughs> it was and I've not I mean I'm, I don't think that I've you know too faint of heart or anything like this but I remember playing this stupid horror game with VR and I was at the time hiding from, you know, the hiding from the monster. And I was leaning my head physically over to the right to peek around the corner of my hiding spot and to see if they could see me or not. And then my cat jumped up onto my lap in real life. And I almost had a heart attack and died because I didn't know what was happening. But I was so engrossed and engaged in in the interaction with the story that uh yeah, it was it was traumatic. But um VR is is really next level storytelling, and that's 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 the impact. So there are a couple of really cool brand examples. Um, Adidas Terex did this VR experience where they had a couple of free climbers climbing a mountain, and you could free climb up the mountain to the summit with them. And you had controllers in your hands, and you're reaching your physical hands up and and grabbing handholds 
with the controllers. But when you looked around, you know, you're on the side of this mountain. It was a very harrowing experience, but it was a really, really effective way for the brand to, um, you know, to get in front of an audience and to, to bring them in emotionally into that storytelling. Another one is Tom's. So the, the footwear brand Tom's is really famous for giving away a pair of shoes when you purchase a pair of shoes from them. And they did a VR experience, um, sort of like a documentary format where they were going to villages in Peru and handing or handing over the free pairs of shoes to the children. And you can watch a documentary about handing, handing free shoes to kids that need them. But in the VR experience, you could move your head around. You could look at the environment that these kids were living in. You could look down at them and see their faces when they got this gift of free shoes. That, that level of immersion and engagement is really, really impactful. I mean, the emotional connection that came with that experience was something that you couldn't get from passively watching something on a flat screen. So v VR's time, I hope, will come because I'm really convinced of, uh, of, of the approach. But unfortunately, right now, the hardware is, is not mass adopted. So we'll see how that progresses. I'm looking forward to it. And I, I just wonder how the luxury brands are going to, well, of course, they're going to capitalize on this market, but how they're going to, I suppose, slightly shift or if they are going to shift from purely trying to sell their product to engage in an immersive experience, like something that is, I suppose, more of a gaming experience in the traditional sense, as opposed mm -hmm. to um, a shopping experience, which is a luxury brand experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I wonder if you think that would happen. Yeah, as long as it's true to the brand values, as long as it's uh, providing a meaningful experience to that audience, there's a ton of potential when it comes to making the the brands, the luxury brands interaction with their audience interactive. So rather than showing them something, they're doing something together with them. And when it comes to luxury, um, traditionally, the demographic is a little bit older, the audience is a little bit older. But we have to remember that, uh, you know, the people that were that were playing games in, in the arcades, in the 80s and the 70s well you know, i was i was one of them in the i'll say in the 80s not in the 70s but i was one of these people and, and now we're middle age right so you have this generation of people who've who've brought up have been brought up you know playing games and and who are now invested in this uh, in this in this medium in this art form um and let's not forget too that um because the gaming audience is so broad now that we can't underestimate the means that they have. So we have, well, I'll say the mobile, the mobile industry has users uh, who have spent within a year, and this is, this is real, not tens of thousands of dollars on downloadable content, but over a hundred thousand dollars within a year on downloadable mobile game content um, because they're, they're affluent and they're part of this uh, audience and they have the means. This is, this is their preferred means of entertainment. So um, one of the interesting things about gaming and luxury is that, you know, you can reach those affluent customers, that affluent fan base of your luxury brand through gaming, but you can also sort of future proof your brand by exposing it to gamers now who, who are maybe younger and who are, you know, a little bit more aspirational. Um, a gaming experience is much more accessible than a retail experience, which might be intimidating to some, you know, to go into a, into a high high end Hermes retail location and spend some time with those with those items where it, it's sort of democratizing exposure to luxury brands when you're using gaming to reach that audience. Interesting that you just mentioned 
democratizing. So I had a conversation um, yesterday, in fact, about the title of our new conference next year. And we were talking about democratizing. And one of our um, partners said, is that really something we should be considering within the luxury environment? And I'm thinking that do we, you know, is luxury something that should be democratized? Because if historically, it wasn't about a democratized experience. But what you've said, which is interesting, is that gaming is a democratized experience. Anybody can play. Mm -hmm. That's right. And so is there this m kind of misconnect between this idea of luxury and this idea of gaming? Mm, I, see, I don't know about that. I think the, the, the more exposure to the broader base possible, I think that actually builds up the value of the brand. Not everybody will be able to afford these items. Not everybody will be able to experience what it means to, to touch them in the physical realm, but there's always going to be a market for the best and exposing a broader audience to the values and to the craftsmanship and to the story behind how these, how these items come to be, I think is, is a, a benefit to luxury brands. Even if not everybody exposed to that story is able to actually purchase the item in real life. Yeah, I think the other thing that just that's struck me is that there's the opportunity, and I'm quite a cynic at heart, <laughs> there's the opportunity to engage with a luxury brand in the gaming world. Luxury brands are typically very protective over what they are selling and how they sell it. But with gaming, there's an opportunity for them to completely um, abandon that narrative and engage in something fantastical. So you were talking about Louis Vuitton. The Louis Vuitton avatars that are used in some of their advertising are so far removed from Louis Vuitton, really. You know, they're quite sexualized avatars. So there, there is that opportunity for them to engage in something that is so far removed from what it is that they try to represent. I wonder if they would do that. Mm. Well, it's funny you mention that because for the longest time, and, and now I'm revealing my age because it's not so much an issue anymore, but for the longest time, you would see car brands uh, and, and they would have to license, you know, license their, their vehicles to racing games. And for the longest time, the big challenge was if there was any damage shown on the model, on the car model in game. So if you're driving a Ferrari and you smashed into a barrier or you smashed into a guardrail or something and it showed damage on the Ferrari, Ferrari would say, absolutely not. <laughs> we're not going to show, we're not going to show that kind of thing uh, because we don't like the way it's associated to the brand. And I don't think that's so much an issue anymore, but, um, not when I'm driving, <laughs> I haven't had that experience with you, Sean, but, uh, it sounds, it sounds like it could be exciting. I don't know, but, uh, one of one of our best partners actually in this segment is Lamborghini, and we have a racing game called Asphalt Nine. I've seen it. Uh, that's the, oh, it's great! It's a fantastic game, by the way, and it includes all of these crazy hypercars, and it's it's taking really a near photorealistic representation of the vehicle, but then putting it in these crazy situations. I mean, you're you're jumping off mountains, you're you know doing barrel rolls in the desert. Um, so it's really cool the way that we've translated the you know the the luxury cars into a really fantastical environment in these in these racing experiences. And in fact, um, with Lamborghini, we've had some some collaborations with them where we would 
unveil the hypercar in the game before it was actually unveiled in real life or we would um you know have at the geneva auto show the unveiling of, of the car but have it represented in asphalt nine as a, as a playable game next to the car at the auto show so it's really a combination of the fantastical and the real life and we've had um you know contests where we can we can bring players to the lamborghini factory where they're driving a lamborghini and of course recording it and showing their own youtube audience uh, that experience but yeah it's a combination of the two things and it seems that um you know again unleashing the creativity of gaming provides these opportunities to these brands because i suppose I, I mean i keep coming back to this thing is how do they make that in-game experience really exciting Mm -hmm. that you want to play it rather than not only shop it mm -hmm. yeah yeah no it's 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 a very good point so the emotional connection to the brand is is what we talk about so you know that that feeling of excitement translates to uh you know a brand association when you're done playing the game when you're done driving the virtual lamborghini the excitement stays with you. And when you see Lamborghini, I mean, this is the brand association that's made. And that's true with, with many luxury products. If it's fashion or if it's, um, you know, if it's something like exotic automobiles or exotic watches, it's the emotional connection that really drives, you know, the consumer behavior, because that's what these brands are selling. They're selling the, the emotional connection and the desire as much as the physical good itself. You, you mentioned earlier this um, age group and demographic and how the um, gaming is not, you know, it's not only for kids anymore. We've seen a big shift in the ways in which people engage with technology. I wondered if you've seen a big shift in your demographic engaged with the games they decide to play. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, you know, it's funny because, um, again, back to the idea of democratizing, um, the gaming audience has grown tremendously just in the past year uh, 10 years i would say and one of the one of the main things that happened was the advent of free-to-play mobile games uh, so all of a sudden you have you know game games that anybody can download for free uh you see that um honestly in the past uh the reason those stereotypes came to be uh stereotypes about young males you know playing video games and that's kind of that's kind of the only audience that played video games uh, was because the the games industry primarily built games for that audience uh, and and marketed games and game consoles to that particular audience and uh, those consoles were quite expensive i mean if you were a casual user you weren't necessarily going to spend hundreds of dollars on a playstation or on a nintendo or, or on an xbox um, so all of a sudden uh, i guess starting with the iphone and some early android devices you you have a touchscreen device, so the interface is much, much simpler than learning, you know, where your thumbs go and how to hit all these buttons. You have something that's ubiquitous, it's in everybody's pocket, you, you pull this out, it's not a console that lives in your living room. Uh, and you have um, casual games that don't really require as much of a time investment, right? So you can, you can download them for free and then you can play them for a few minutes at a time. So this really opened up the gaming audience to, to for example, women and to older people. Uh, so, and again, as I mentioned before, you've, you've seen that, um, you know, now you have a generation that's grown up playing games since they were kids and now they're middle-aged. So all these things naturally uh, evolved the gaming audience to, you know, older people. And, and we see a, a pretty significant cohort of people that are 50 years plus 
uh, playing games now who, you know, uh, prior to, to this age, you would never have seen something like this. So yeah, it's, it's really quite interesting the way that casual games change the landscape and continue to change the landscape because they, there really is something now that appeals to every age group and every demographic. Hmm. And what about the relationship between gaming and health and well-being? Mm, yeah, well, this is really exciting territory to explore. And, um, you know, as a company, Gameloft is, is definitely pursuing some opportunities in this space. You know, there, there are examples of games being prescribed for ADHD, where the, the results and, and the therapeutic um, benefits are the same, if not better, compared to, you know, a, a medical solution, a, a pharmaceutical solution. But of course, without any of the dangers or side effects, um, or you know necessity for for trials uh, that that can be potentially harmful to the uh, to the trial group. So um, another example that I love to talk about is something called Sea Hero Quest, which was uh, I mean this is a couple of years old now, but this was an application that was developed where the idea was as a player you would you'd get a glimpse of a map. Okay, you'd see a map, and you'd see waypoints. So you'd have to make your way from the start to the to the finish. And then the map would disappear and then you would steer a boat in a real-time 3d environment and you'd steer around the obstacles and you try and remember what the map looked like and try and get your boat to to the waypoint that you were supposed to hit and it felt like an actual game it felt like a real game that you were playing but in reality your activities within the game were being recorded by researchers and it was an objective to track how people manage spatial navigation because they found that the ability to manage spatial navigation was one of the first things that would decline in, in the process of cognitive decline. And so they were using the results of the study to see how um, you know, different, uh, different segments would have their cognitive uh, abilities decline. And they, they found some really interesting things from this study. So they found that, for example, the ability to spatially navigate would start declining at age 19, which was totally unexpected. Everybody thought it would be much, much older than that. And they saw that men would navigate these maps in a different way than women would navigate them. And they saw that the people living in Nordic countries were somehow more talented at navigating these maps. So, um, you know, they had this massive player database of activities that they could use for the study. And before that Sea Hero Quest uh, project launched, the largest group ever involved in a study um, of spatial navigation was about 599 people. And Sea Hero Quest gave them a database of of over three million that they could uh, that they could examine that data and see how people were spatially navigating these things. So, um, you know, there are lots of lots of projects ongoing about neuroplasticity and how gaming activities can be of benefit to seniors. I mean, there was a really cool one I was reading about where they were exposing elderly people to Super Mario Brothers, and you know, problem solving is part of this, but exposure to novel environments is is part of managing cognitive decline. And putting them in a 3D Super Mario world was a way to expose them to a novel environment because they weren't necessarily mobile. They couldn't necessarily go out into the world and, and experience these novel environments. So anyway, uh, sorry for rambling a little bit, but I'm, I am really excited about the potential um, for, for therapies in the future and using games as a way to improve quality of life for, for older people. It's really, really exciting. The other thing that struck me is Canada has quite a history in this in the digital environment. But I remember Reboot. Oh yes, Reboot. Yeah. So Reboot. Uh, now uh, the internet might correct me, but I believe that Reboot was the first computer animated 
series ever created. And uh, yeah, I remember it very well. And it was, it was super cool. Other than that, you'd seen a couple of examples in theaters from, from Pixar at the time. But um, yeah, proudly Canadian production. Um, you know, Gameloft, um, many years ago, Gameloft is a 20-year-old company now, but many years ago, Gameloft established a studio in Montreal along with Ubisoft. And they uh, created an agreement with the Quebec government that's, uh, you know, really benefited the games industry in Canada. And so now Canada is absolutely a hub of, of talent when it comes to when it comes to video game creation and um, Toronto as well is tremendously, tremendously productive and really, really um, a hotbed for creative talent and video game talent. And, and there's um, you know, various educational programs that are focusing on this as well. But yeah, Canada has um, really established itself as a as a mecca for digital creation. My last question, this is my last question, is what mm. is your luxury? Ah, my luxury. Oh, well, I guess the philosopher in me will say time because as, as we get older, we know that time is, is the most important commodity, right? So having, having time to complete the things I need to complete and, you know, to the level that they should be, and then having time to, to spend uh, on things like my family and things that I, that I want to do for my personal pleasure, I would say is, is my luxury, but also I think experiences and accessibility to experiences, I mean, this is something that uh, we have a new appreciation for after the last year. So I told you I live in the countryside, a few hours outside of Toronto. I haven't really been able to do anything. And I, I miss those experiences. I, I used to travel a lot for, for work and I, I miss going to those places and I miss seeing my team and I miss those, those personal interactions. So, um, you know, I, I think, I guess that's my answer. <laughs> And what kind of experience would be the one that you probably missed the most? I would say, well, when you can't go anywhere, you sort of realize where you miss going. And I have a fantastic team in LA and, and some really cool clients in that city. And I think right now, if I could go anywhere, and this, this sounds kind of lame because it's work-related, but if I could go anywhere right now, um, not counting with my family, but uh, I would I would visit my clients and my team in Los Angeles, and I would have some great productive discussions, and I would come away from it feeling you know that I'd connected with the right people at the right level, and and that it was a, a great trip. So in my work life, I think that would be my ideal. In my personal life, I would love to take the family someplace fun and and just for a change of scenery and do some cool activities and and finally get back into the world. Brilliant. Casey Campbell, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you, Sean. It was great talking to you anytime. Casey, thank you for joining us. And thank you to our partner, Intellect Books, to you for listening. And join us next time on the In Pursuit of Luxury podcast. <laughs>